Welcome to Kapwa Conversations, a podcast that amplifies the voices of Filipino, Philippine-ex folks in the health and wellness space. We use the indigenous wisdom of Kapwa, or shared inner self, to connect, inspire, and remember that we are all connected. If you enjoy this episode, please give us a five-star rating and write us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps others find the show and be in Kapwa together. You can also help spread the word by sharing today's episode on social media and tagging us on Instagram at kapwa.yoga. Without any further ado, here's today's conversation. Hi, welcome to Kapwa Conversations. And today we have Matty Espino. Um, He is a yoga instructor, but I'll let him introduce himself. And we've met each other through Yoga Vita, where he teaches and I did my yoga teacher training. And then we also met each other through House of Movement, which is a studio that I co-own. So it's been really good to see our parallels in yoga dance journeys and yeah, excited for this conversation. So yeah, Maddie, if you'd like to introduce yourself and Tell us a little more about your relationship to health and wellness and Filipino, Filipinx identity. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, yeah. So my name is Maddie Espino. Um, and as Paul mentioned, so I am a yoga instructor. Um, I've been teaching since uh, around 2015 and currently have a uh, I have my like official 500, but have gone beyond even that in terms of uh, study um, and uh, tapped into different modalities of vinyasa, restorative, yin, and on so on and so forth. And that sort of translated into other um, areas of, of, of wellness, mindfulness, um, in addition to uh, what I've kind of cultivated within yoga. Um, and then in addition to that, uh, have explored other modalities of kind of fitness and, and, and still kind of embodied within wellness and uh, uh, have been a part of the 305 certified dance cardio community recently, um, as well as an instructor for them. But uh, yeah, um, in terms of my Filipino identity, so I am Filipino American, um, first born here in the States. Uh, I'm originally from California, um, and my parents, uh, you know, have, they came here a long time ago. Um, it's kind of, uh, I wouldn't say the traditional, but I feel like a very common, probably sort of immigrant story. Um, and yeah, and sort of, I grew up in um, a, like a suburban Orange County, so very uh, not I would say occupied by lots of people that look like me um, and uh, grew up in that sort of bubble in that space. And then eventually uh, once I got to college and things like that branched off and um, did everything impossible to get out of that environment um, and traveled a little bit. And then eventually New York came and uh, came here uh, for my education um, for my master's and then, and then yoga and all that kind of happened. Yeah, for so yoga for you started when you came to New York. Yeah, so it's uh, an interesting story. Well, I don't know if it's interesting, but I think it's interesting. But um, I so I came here for my master's program, and my original 
sort of career trajectory, or at least where I was going at the time, was I was uh, an English teacher, um, an English uh, as a second language teacher, and was teaching abroad for a bit in Korea. And then uh, there was a certain point with my my qualifications there that like it kind of plateaued. And in order to advance, I needed to get um, higher education. Um, and so moved to New York to, to do that program. And then um, when I was getting my master's um, there, it was, I would say a stressful time in my life where there was just, I think, moving to the city, um, dealing with uh, just the life of being a grad student and just other things that were coming up. Um, I didn't realize the amount of stress that I was under. And it was actually my roommate at the time who was much more into practicing yoga and was like, hey, there's a studio over here in Harlem and there's a teacher that I really like. You should come check her out. Come with me. And I ended up going to a class with her. And um, and then I was like hooked. Like I had thought I knew what yoga was. And then all of a sudden, after taking that class and that particular class, I was just like, hmm, this is interesting. And, um, and then just started to do it almost every day. And when was the point when you realized, I want to go deeper into this, I want to do teacher training? Yeah. Uh, so for teacher training for me, it, it came at the end. So once I graduated from my, uh, my MA program, I was sort of in this like, uh, this uh, period of time where I wasn't exactly sure what the next step was. And so I knew, so I got this master's, I'm like drowning now in student debt. Um, but I was like, okay, I have to get a job or I have to, you know, figure out if I wanted to continue on um, within the program that I was with, there was a PhD program and all of that. So it's kind of in this interim. And in that interim, I had a little bit of time and I probably should have used the money for the debt that I had accumulated, but I was like, I think I'm going to try this yoga teacher stuff out, but not really with the intention of like, I wanted to become a yoga teacher because that role had already been filled with English teaching. Right. Um, but I had become really, really curious and interested in more about what yoga is. Um, and I thought that a teacher training program would be the right fit. And just to, to, to learn more. Um, and a part of that curiosity was with like exploring the physical things, but then also a little bit more into, I was just really curious as to like why yoga made me feel better about myself um, or made me feel better about life in general. Um, and then, yeah, just researched into different programs all over the city and happened to fall upon a very small um, teacher training program that's uh, based here in New York and also based in um, on the West Coast. Um, but they're, they're not really affiliated with any particular studio. They're just kind of their own teacher training um, vinyasa brand, if you will. And uh, yeah, and then that was sort of my entry point in, into to, uh, learning more than what we just get in like a, in a, a 60 minute or 75 minute class. Nice, yeah, I've heard, I finished my, teacher training this year. I mean, that's already a whole another experience of doing it in the midst of quarantine. But for your training, I've often heard it, the analogy is drinking water from a fire hydrant because you're learning so much. 
what were the things that really opened your mind that you maybe didn't know from a practitioner of the physical yoga practice? Yeah, a good question. So I feel like the 200 hour, it was, I agree. Like the analogy that we had was like, it's an appetizer plate and there's going to be all these things that you can choose from. And then you'll be leaving the program being like, hmm, maybe I want more of this and this, but it's not so much like you're going to feel, um, complete, I guess, if that's the right word, where it was like, uh, if anything, you go in with, with questions and then you leave with even more questions. But I think for me, the biggest, at, at that point, the, the, the things that I took away where I was like, I really enjoy, um, I really enjoyed sequencing so that there was a big physical component, but there was a lot of creativity and sequencing that I, um, really enjoyed. Um, and then, at that point in in my in in my yoga like kind of practice and teaching journey, I was also really curious about restorative yoga, which we had a, a module on, as well as Ayurveda. Um, and so those are so like with those modules um, and topics sort of in the forefront of my mind after I had left that program, graduated from that program, um, I w- went on into sort of uh, investigate a little bit more in those areas. Did you end up teaching right away after the program? Yeah, um, sort of. Yeah, I, you know, it was, again, I, I, I remember specifically telling like our lead uh, mentor that like, I, you know, I don't think I'm going to be a yoga teacher um, or like a, one who's teaching. I just really want to do this for me. And, but I'm also... <laughs> Um, someone who's very impulsive and kind of like, well, I did this, so where can I take it next? That sort of thing. And I, um, so after I finished the program, I was, I was still, I had decided that I wanted to continue on with my, my, um, my English teaching stuff and continue. I decided like to pursue a PhD track, um, which I ended up like backing out of after a bit of time where I was like, it's not for me. But in, in that moment where I was doing that and working at, um, at my university, um, uh, there, I was like, I think I was on like Craigslist or something looking at jobs and I stumbled upon an audition for, um, it was like, it wasn't a, a, a teaching position, but it was as like a teaching assistant position for um, a small studio in Harlem. And, um, and sort of my impulsive nature, I was like, well, what could be like the worst thing? Like, I don't know. And so I sent off like a very empty like resume because all I really had was my 200 hour. Um, and they gave me an audition. And then I all of a sudden was like auditioning for this yoga position. And it was terrifying, but, um, I ended up getting it. And then that was sort of my first like foot, I guess, in the door for uh, yoga teaching, because in the assistantship, we got to sort of be under, we got to um, assist their more senior teachers. uh, And then uh, like weekly or every other week or so, we got to teach our own community class. And how long did you do both teaching from your master's teaching and teaching from yoga and did you find that they helped inform each other were there a lot of parallels in those 
Yeah. Um, so it was for, so I, um, so I did my master's and then briefly attempted a PhD and then was like, ah, absolutely not. This isn't for me. And was like, okay, I want to go back to classroom teaching. And then I started, um, I started teaching at Baruch, uh, university here in New York, uh, within their continuing ed program and was mostly teaching English. And then, and I would say like my big not my big, but my sort of real kind of breakthrough was uh, I started teaching for a studio called Harlem Yoga Studio, and I attribute to them to really giving me my like my um, opportunity, I guess, to uh, to really become the teacher that I wanted to be. And um, so I started teaching for them, um, and it was just a class um, while I was also still teaching English, um, and that. I would say I was doing both parallel for about two, two or I, I want to say two years. It might have been longer, or a little bit shorter than that. Um, but in in doing it, so it was primarily English teaching, and then slowly uh, I started getting more classes um, and also uh, like auditioning more again, which I like never thought I would do to go to like these yoga teacher auditions, but I started auditioning more throughout the city and then eventually um, was teaching about pretty equal amounts of English classes and um, yoga classes. And then eventually a little less English, and a little bit more yoga. And then within the last year or so was able to sort of move completely away from English teaching and um, just do the yoga thing. I'm wondering what that conversation was like maybe with your family when you yeah. decided to go full-time as a yoga teacher or a movement instructor and how you explain what you do to them where it might not be a familiar career path. Yeah. Um, luckily I feel um, fortunate enough to have like <laughs> more like liberal uh, in thinking, I guess, uh, parents about this sort of stuff. Um, and so because I had already been involved with like English teaching or just uh, uh, liberal arts sorts, sorts of things, I feel like my dad in particular, like really was open to it. Um, and so once I started to transition more to yoga teaching, it wasn't necessarily like a conversation of, you know, are you like, what are you doing? Or like, maybe you should go into science or whatever. Um, Cause I had a lot of those conversations when I was younger, but I think at this point um, there were conversations I believe of like, you know, how are you doing with money? Um, but there was a sort of consideration that I, as consideration and trust that like I was happy with what I'm, what I'm doing. Um, and that, that they were okay with it. I don't a hundred percent, like I, I got a lot of questions. And I think I still get a lot of questions from my dad as to like, you know, what yoga teaching is like. And like, uh, especially when we were teaching in studios, um, he would ask questions of like, is it tiring? Like, are you doing the class with them the entire time? Or like, um, I think the concept is still very like, foreign as to, as to like what teaching a yoga class would mean and, and, and all of that. But, um, yeah, I, I would say he's, he's open to like, he's, he is accepting of, of what I'm doing. 
That's good. I mean, yeah, it, it's not always that case. So right. even that is really great. Yeah. Have they ever practiced? Have you ever taught them yoga? Yeah, I haven't actually. Um, so uh, my, yeah, like, we've talked about it a little bit, like, I like my family in general, and sort of, I think it's kind, kind of like, like joked about it. Um, but my, so right now, like, um, I don't have much of a relationship with like my, my mom at the moment, but um, my dad, he isn't the most like physically active, I would say. And so there is this sort of notion with him that like what we would do would be just like too physically hard. Um, and so we haven't uh, explored that yet. Yeah, hopefully soon. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think anyone, you know, yoga is it I, because because there's such a weird perception of it, not a weird perception, but like a, a very much stereotype perception of it, especially in the Western world um, that's, uh, you know, if you can sort of put that aside and know that yoga can really be for anyone and it's not just like necessarily stretching and all of that sort of thing, um, which I feel like my family might attribute that to uh, most of the time. Um, you know, there are ways to access it, but um, we just haven't gone there yet. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And let's go there a little bit with the way that yoga is seen in America or in the West and especially with social media and about how accessible it can be to all yeah. people, all bodies. I'm wondering how that felt like for you as a student and then as a teacher and then maybe tying in with Filipino identity and being a teacher has that has your identity ever rubbed up into some spaces or in the audition process or anything like that? Yeah. Um, those are really great questions. Um, so for me, when I, and I think this is a lot of people's, entry points. I mean, everyone comes into the practice for different reasons, but I think a good chunk of people get interested in the physical things, right? And sort of, um, you might see images on Instagram, or um, you might go to a yoga class and be like, whoa, that's cool. Like, I want to be able to do a handstand one day. And that was, I, you know, I, I can't deny that that didn't um, have, have an appeal to me. Um, because I was interested in learning more about how the like how to do the shapes and things like that, um, and so for me, that was sort of my entry point in into what I thought what yo what yoga was, um, and I think I haven't been necessarily um, super involved within it, um, and I know it shifted a lot. But when I first started, it was very it was still very much like. Um, studio culture housed in terms of like a big brand of, of a studio. And usually there was some sort of person attached to that. Um, and typically, you know, these celebrity yoga teachers are white, very able-bodied, very 
strong in their practice. And there was a lot of uh, sort of draw towards the physical sense. And then I would say just how things are marketed within the the wellness world is you often see um, very thin, uh, like white women uh, who um, practice uh, yoga or doing that in air quotes, but like, you know, um, so those are sort of the images that I was constantly that I just saw around me and sort of fed to me. Um, and I think as it, it, at first it never, it, for me, I think like it didn't bother me as much, um, and, uh, until I started to really be within those spaces, um, in the sense that like, you know, a lot of these yoga studio big, big yoga studios at the time were, you know, advocating for like, this is our community, your family and all this sort of things. Um, and there were moments I would say where not necessarily me, but at times I would, I would include myself in that where it's like, um, because, uh, because it was only catered towards like a certain body type, um, or a certain look, um, either, it's not that they would like kick you out, but it just, you didn't feel welcomed. Right. Or like, you know, I, it, it took some time for me to understand when people who I'd bring to like these places that I love and be like, you're going to love it here. And then they take the class and they're like, I don't think they wanted to hurt my feelings, but like the reality is they didn't enjoy it or they, you know, they didn't feel, um, that it was accessible in terms of either the physicality or that, um, the space itself didn't feel safe or, you know, safe for them. Um, and those are things that now, as I have, especially now in these times, right, I've, um, been really thinking about and trying to consider more. And I would say as, uh, with my identity as, uh, as, as Filipino, as, as male, um, as, um, you know, someone who I, I don't think I'm very like flexible per se, right? And, you know, it's interesting to to be in spaces where like, how do I want to say this? It It's interesting to be in spaces where you feel not really seen a lot of the times, I would say, you know? Um, and It's, I guess for me, it's interesting to reflect on it because it's something that I feel like I've been forced to normalize a lot. So it doesn't necessarily bother me as, as much, right? Where it's like, okay, like I don't see anyone who looks like me or like within many of the studios that I walk through, either I'm the only Asian teacher, Filipino teacher on the team um, or maybe there's another like person. Um, definitely I would say in the, the amount of time that I have kind of, I would say that yoga community, while it's a very saturated environment here in New York city, um, you know, a lot of us cross paths and I maybe know like two other Filipino teachers, um, a handful, you know, if we brought in that to Asian, Asian American. Um, and so it's a very small, small population. Um, 
And I think in some of that sentiment of like not feeling seen, it's like I have to do extra in order mm -hmm. to like get opportunities, right? Or like to, to you know, and not, you know, like perform my best or be perfect in some ways. Um, and I think that translates a lot in terms of like the amount that I do or that I've taken on or that I've sort of, you know, just this unnecessary pressure that I've put on myself, which I think a lot of people do, but in particularly, in particular, um, I think a lot of Asian folks do in general, right? And that's just to get by. It's not really like to be the best because like, I don't, I don't know. I just feel like sometimes we're never really considered that. Yeah, I don't know who said the quote, but there is for women, for any minorities, there's this idea that we have to work twice as hard to get half as far. Um, and yeah, that, that's what a lot of what you're saying reminds me of. And the idea of representation mattering uh, if it means, I don't think I've shared it with you, but when I was choosing which studio to do my teacher training at, the studio where we both know each other from had two or maybe three Filipino male teachers, and one of them was the teaching staff of that program, and that that blew my mind. It wasn't until I took one of Jeffrey, he'll be, he's in this series too. Um, but it wasn't until I took his class and talked to him that I felt, oh, this person looks like me. I feel different about this practice. And I, I wonder with this time now, I mean, we're recording it in quarantine. And I wonder if this time has brought any reflections like that about how yoga and yoga teaching has changed and how maybe your perspective once things, you know, hopefully, once we get back to teaching in person at studios, how this experience, this, this more internal time, how it's maybe changed your perspective. Yeah, uh, definitely. Um, just quickly to like, go back uh, to, uh, to, to Jeffrey, right? He's like, yeah, that's, I mean, for me, like, like that's, the only other like Filipino and, and you now. Um, but, but yeah, so we're like, you know, it, it's, I think it's one thing to be Asian. I think it's one thing to be Asian and male within the yoga industry. Right. Um, and that, you know, I think that says a lot, but um, in terms of now teaching, so being in quarantine has been a very interesting, it's, it's been an interesting place to be in, in terms of a, a, in yoga teaching. And I think like, you know, I, was one of the teachers in New York City who like lived the hustle. Like I had many studios where I was teaching, you know, on average like 15 classes a week. Um, and, and, and I was happy with that. Like I really, you know, really enjoyed this sort of get on a train, go teach a couple of classes here, get on a train, go teach another class like here, you know, grab coffee, whatever, and like rinse and repeat. Um, and then all of a sudden it stopped. Uh, so, but in that sort of pause and sort of moments of being able to reflect, um, 
I think, and especially in light of everything that's been going on in the world with Black Lives Matter, with sort of the reckoning that's been happening with a lot of yoga studios and, and you know, the things with a lot of these studios, um, some of it hits really close to home, um, is one, I think it's, so... It's been really nice for me to sort of reprioritize what I value and what I want in terms of when I work for a studio and like what I, who I want to be surrounded by, like who I want to teach for and things like that. Um, I think, so access and equity have been a big um component in terms of what I look for and what I, so the studios that have survived, like sadly, many of my studios have closed. Um, but the studios that have survived that I'm still active with, um, you know, have, it's, it's now really looking at how they are shifting their culture or wanting to shift their culture in terms of creating more equitable opportunities for their teachers, how we can bring in more diversity and representation, and, and that includes, uh, you know, diversifying the current teaching staff that's on there, and um, as well as bringing in, you know, the, the people who thought that they couldn't walk through those walls, or maybe, or doors, um, and or maybe went through them a, a couple of times, and, and you know, uh, wasn't able to, to, to feel represented or welcomed. Um, so really trying to align with that and make sure that it fits, and if it's not, what I think being at home has taught me is that it's actually okay if I'm not with them anymore because I don't necessarily need them. Um, quarantine has taught me to, that I like the, I think being a yoga teacher, you have to realize as well that you are your own business. Um, and I never, like when I first started teaching, I was like, I don't, you know, I'm not gonna do my own thing or like create my own whatever platform and things like that. And now I've had to pivot and sort of create my own business, I guess you could say, um, and uh, learn to, to, to do this on my own um, at times. And it's been really scary, but also really enlightening to know, to see like what I, like to actually have a hundred percent say, and like, this is how I want to teach. This is how, you know, what I want to put out there has been really almost liberating in some ways. Um, and still sort of crafting, like how I want to find my voice. Um, yeah. And I mentioned a little bit, but so going back to access, but I think that's another thing too, is that you know, with the rise of boutique yoga studios and, um, yeah, with the rise of, so the way that I see yoga, how, how it's happened in the last few years is that sort of the big studio, um, um, brands that have like many branches, um, mm -hmm. are sort of falling by the wayside with the exception of maybe a few. Um, and then there is a lot of rise of small boutique studios, but in the culture in itself, uh, at that point, right, that the, the, the way to to access these classes you you had to have lots of money like there's very few there are studios that are a bit more affordable but like 
um, you know, popping into yoga class that's $40 for a drop-in is not, I mean, you're already kind of setting who can walk through those doors. Um, and so now looking at one, how I advertise for myself, what sort of classes that I want to put out there and how people can, can take it. Um, and then also hoping that the studios that I'm still aligned with, right, what are their plans to, in their best effort to make, to make things accessible while still surviving within COVID, while still surviving within uh, the, the context of like expensive rent in New York and all of that. So I yeah. think that answered your question. <laughs> yes. And then some, yeah, it's been very interesting. I feel like we have a lot of inverse um, experiences where my, the only thing that I've known as a teacher is virtual because I finished my program in June and have been, you know, the only option is to go solo and figuring out what you stand for. And it's helpful to hear that observation of really knowing what your personal values are, not only, you know, as you brand yourself, but also if you, you do end up making a decision to go back to a studio, how important it is to know your, your values and if that organization is going to align with them. Yeah. It's, I'm, I'm curious to see how, how you and, you know, uh, everyone who's done a yoga teacher training in these online times will move forward. Um, because, because yeah, like I think in the past it was like, okay, you have your 200 hour now, um, next foot is to get an audition and, uh, and then find like that, that class that, or that studio that will give you a class or a sub list or whatever. And now it's a little bit different, but you really have, uh, the opportunity to, to, I think, make it all happen in your own way, which I think is really nice. It's scary and it's hard. Like I, you know, I, the, the hustle never left, you know? Um, but th these, these quarantine times really ask us to decide, well, what is it that we value? What is it that we want to bring and how, you know, who is it that we're going to speak to? Um, and try to find them, um, which I think is really important. And that's really crafting our way towards like identifying who we are as a teacher. Um, because oftentimes as well, like when we, when, uh, from what I've seen in, and and teachers in the past is that, you know, and this is including myself is we start to, to teach in the world, uh, and we teach like our teachers. Um, and this, this is what, one of my mentors in the past told me before it was like, before you find your voice, you try to emulate someone else's voice. Right. Mm -hmm. But now this time it's like, okay, well, what is your voice? And you have to find it already. Yeah. I think that's one of the silver linings of having completed an online training or, you know, from in-person to virtual training is that it really calls for you to initiate if you want to, teaching and getting that experience and then also honing in what your personal voice is because you're not tied to a studio's model like their brand of yoga or you're not necessarily tied to teaching a certain style even like I know for myself and starting to teach I'm trying to add more of the meditation aspect and doing a seated meditation at the end of Shavasana when you bring people back. And when I did my teacher training, that wasn't even, that wasn't really emphasized. It was 
you know, the training that I took was Ashtanga influenced and it was very athletic. And now that I am creating sequences and most of my, the people I teach are beginner. And I, yeah, I try to focus on almost a more restorative type of flow with a meditation. And I feel like for you, one of the things that I've been drawn to following your progress in um, teaching is that you also have this trauma-informed perspective and have also been emphasizing the importance of rest in your practice. So yeah, I would love to hear about, you know, if someone is not familiar with that term trauma-informed, and I know at the time of this recording, you're about to teach an intro to trauma-informed, like what would you say to someone in a sentence or two of, of what that is? Cool. Uh, a sentence or two. Trauma-informed yoga is, it's a new lens that's sort of been uh, created within the yoga industry, I would say within the last few years, right? It, it, I think it started to emerge when I um, became a yoga teacher, right? There was a, uh, there's a nonprofit that I'm a part of that created their uh, trauma-informed yoga program. But in essence, um, it is so trauma-informed principles are things that have existed uh, with uh, uh, people who, who work to, to treat trauma and um, so like practitioners, clinicians, social workers, and all that. So it's, 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 it's a framework that's existed for a while, but now we're just adapting it into uh, the yoga practice. But in essence, it's sort of like if you take the idea of safety, um, if you take the idea of, you know, that as humans, we've probably experienced some sort of trauma and we're walking into the world or in the world with these traumas uh, living within us, right? That um, there are ways to perhaps continue to, there are ways in which that you can continue to regulate yourself um, when you are feeling triggered. Um, and sometimes we don't realize what those triggers are, but once we do kind of allow ourselves to have more insight into them, we can use things such as yoga or other mindful practices uh, to, to create this way of, of stabilizing the nervous system. Um, and tra trauma-informed principles can also be applied into the teaching spaces that you're in. So really crafting here. The, so the idea of community gets thrown out a lot in yoga, but really like how do you build a community that is that works for everyone right and so really allowing yourself to to listen and to to um get uh honest feedback into ter in terms of of what is appropriate for um your your group your community um and then one of the there's many sort of principles that can go in but another one that's really big is the issue the uh um the power of choice. And so really giving um, autonomy for students uh, to, to make choices for themselves and to feel empowered that with whatever choice they make um, is welcomed and accepted within these spaces. And yeah, so that's an, like a little bit of like the trauma-informed stuff. Um, and I think in a world, especially when yoga uh, is now, I think coming a, away or doing its best to move away from the idea of guru culture, mm -hmm. but it still exists, right? This sort of lens is one way of challenging that, I think, and, and 
in addition to the other, I think, benefits of, of applying this practice in like a, a safer, a healthier, and more um, empowering yet sustainable way. Yeah. I, if somebody was coming in as a student to a trauma-informed yoga class, and maybe they didn't know what it was, but the teacher came from that background, can you give an example of what they would hear in the class that might be different from a, a, you know, a, a typical, I'm using air quotes too, <laughs> vinyasa yoga class? Yeah. So I think the first thing I would want to say to that question actually is that um, everything should be trauma-informed, regardless of what the label is. Because, and I think a lot of people who enter the trauma-informed trainings do have that sort of perspective of like, it's a separate class. Like you take like a beginner yoga class and there's the trauma informed yoga class and so on and so forth. And it can be, that's not, that's not saying that it, it, it can't be that. But I think in the most ideal world is that everything that we're offering, even in the realm of yoga or outside of it, there is this, this effort for it to be trauma informed. And so in a yoga class that perhaps uh, applies these trauma-informed principles or teaching methodologies is um, <clears throat> you might you would hear more um, offers of choice um, or invitations for for different choices um, and and so that could be framed in terms of um, like options for poses right instead of doing X pose, you'll do Y pose. Um, and in that though, that those poses are, are um, not necessarily like one's a regression and one's a progression um, because we also want to like level out the playing field where um, <clears throat> it's more of like explore your curiosity, right? Do you want to move your arms or do you want to stay in a shape and hold it, right? Or something like that. Um, I think there would be lots of transparency as to what you're guiding your students towards. So it's like if um, if the class is um, like peak pose oriented, you might mm -hmm. preface like what that peak pose is, but then also let them know that there is no expectation that this pose is going to happen today or it doesn't even have to happen. Or maybe it's um, there's a another way that it can look like without it being what we think it's supposed to look like. Um, I think a trauma-informed yoga class or a trauma-informed, or a class that has like trauma-informed principles um, would also focus more on um, what are you feeling in these shapes versus like what it looks like. And there's a lot of, I think current yoga has a lot of emphasis on aesthetics versus like the functionality of a shape. Um, and so letting go of prescriptive alignment, letting go of, and, but still, you know, keeping this idea of safety, right? I think sometimes people might assume that we're now, oh, you know, students aren't going to be safe, but understanding and giving trust into your students know what's best for their bodies. And if they don't, or they're unsure, they are that they should not feel any hesitation to ask, like, what should I do? Or, and, you know, you can have that conversation. Um, and, I, and also, you know, to 
again, take the idea away of like, I'm the teacher, you're the student, is um, if the student decides to, to do something else within respects of what the community and the context is, right, um, and, and that also includes safety, um, that they can choose uh, what feels appropriate to them in the moment. I mean, that sounds really nice. I feel like that should be the standard for any <laughs> class. I mean, especially these days, if you're doing a home practice and you don't necessarily have the physical community around you, you can't look right or left and see somebody else or you're not getting a physical adjustment from somebody. It sounds right. like that should be the way to, to teach. Is yeah. It- and, you know, it's, I mean... There's also so much more for me, I think, uh, about what the yoga practice does uh, beyond just asana, beyond just physical forms, right? And so again, the idea of, of regulating the nervous system or being in meditation and, and uh, offering, um, like teaching skills that, um, so it's not so much about a shape, but like, you know, how to follow the breath if that feels appropriate for them um, in order to, you know, if they're feeling a little bit more anxious or um, how they can use movement in a way to, to ground um, there, there's all these sort of nuggets and takeaways that I think could be like um, really inspiring for, for a yoga class. That's different from like, here's this big, really hard shape that not very many people can get into while that is inspirational i think um it may not be as 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 useful right and so um i think that that's also um a helpful lens to to bring into when when bringing in the idea of trauma-informed and then also understanding too that like you know it depends on the context and the people that you work with and so primarily so the way that I bring in my trauma-informed approach into my studio classes is very different from when, where I work with the nonprofit. And so the nonprofit is uh, it's this wonderful organization, Exhale to Inhale, um, which they work with survivors of domestic assault and sexual violence. And so we have a very sort of delineated, outlined like do's and don'ts of of teaching a class, but that is also because we are working with a, a very sensitive population in terms of, of, you know, the traumas that they are or have experienced or are going through. And so being mindful of that as well. And, you know, I think having, understanding that and knowing that, again, things can look different and uh, is, is uh, an aspect of making your teaching more trauma-informed so it's like maybe this class for this group of people like no music you know or Mm -hmm. no hands-on um or yeah so it it can look a variety of different ways yeah and one of the things i'm thinking of you know specifically or maybe not even specifically to the filipino community is the concept of intergenerational trauma and how you know, we've had 400 years of colonialism, and I know decolonization is kind of a, a hot topic term, but yeah, the idea of that in the context of a physical practice, I wonder what your perspective is on, you know, having a trauma-informed lens and for maybe a Filipino community if you were to reach out to that group. Yeah, yeah. Uh- Great question. So I think, um, 
Yeah, if we think about the idea of intergenerational trauma, um, so that is the, the, the traumas that our ancestors faced, you know, years and years ago are passed down and it's in our genetics. And for me, like the practice that I see is something very simple, but working into the body, right? Because it, in, in essence, the idea of, 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 of trauma is that it disassociates us from the present moment. We, and it really taps us out from understanding and under, like understanding sensations that we're experiencing or not really even realizing like when we are facing triggers and things like that. But more so, uh, if I were teaching, you know, this, uh, the Filipino community is, um, to get back into the body and, and you, to not be, a, well, you know, to, to be curious about what you're experiencing, because I think that there's a lot of um, not knowing, right? And like, and then if it's an unknown, or if there's like a sensation, or there is some sort of um, something that comes up, there's an immediate maybe to run away from it. And that in that moment is where, where we could teach, right? How, how, what can you do to regulate when you are feeling triggered? Um, and so breath work, um, pranayama is, 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 uh, is such a wonderful skill to, to teach to, to people. Um, but then also um, recognizing, you know, sensations within the body, um, being able to be like, nope, too much, or not, not, not doing this today or whatever as well um, can, can be I think helpful. I, I try to, I'm thinking back on like my family and just the concept of wellness is something that like never was talked about or like um, appreciated, I guess, in some ways. And so really trying to offer up like why, why it is that we, why this could be helpful. Um, yeah, and as as a way of of trying to to not avoid something that feels scary, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I was actually getting some really deep breaths because it was yeah, it was really resonating with me the things that you were saying. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, it's that's I, I that what you just said right there, like deep breaths, right? That's where it could start, and. This is not to say, like, sometimes, again, with the communi communities that we teach, the breath can be triggering, right? So, but if we do have the ability to access into that and teach people how to breathe, that in itself is an aspect of yoga, um, if not more so, yo more so yoga than um, the physical forms, right? So um, I also think, like, Meditation, you know, if we can get more people in general to, to do it, it is so grounding and helpful. And it's not easy by any means, but I believe that the benefits of, of meditation are amazing, right? It really does help in, in, in trials and tribulations that we go through. It's helped me in this like crazy pandemic. So, yeah, yeah. Now I feel like that listening to and taking it in was a meditation practice. <laughs> <laughs> if someone who's listening to this is maybe interested in 
following down this path? Do you have any advice for them? What I like to say when people uh, ask me about yoga teacher trainings and, and all of that is take your time and research. Like there is no rush to um, to get certified, I, if, if that makes sense, where you, as we talked about before, right, finding a place that really aligns with your values. And so that means, I think that means like taking time to take classes at the studio, you might be interested asking as there is no questions that are off the table, especially if they're going to take thousands and thousands of dollars from you. So, um, uh, so really find a place that, that, that resonates with you. Um, and that might take more time than you might hope for, but I think in the long run, it's, it's better. Um, and then in these sort of weird internet times that we're in now, like it does open up that sort of, it's not just a, a yoga teacher training that's in your city. Right. So you, you do have the opportunity to go, uh, uh, nationwide or even globally, um, which I think is really cool. Um, find what you're passionate about. And within yoga, right, as you mentioned, Ashtanga, so I'm from a vinyasa background. Um, and finding what style you'd want to teach, right? I think that there are communities out there and programs out there that can fit into that. And that's also where the trauma-informed lens could come in. And so it, again, that's sort of a newer modality, but that doesn't mean that there aren't teacher training programs that incorporate that in some capacity. Um, and for those teachers who might be interested in learning more about trauma-informed yoga, um, I recommend, so I think it depends on like what, how you want to bring it in. Uh, so if it's more like, I just want to influence my classes, there are, are definitely programs out there that you can do that are a little bit more like broad scope. Um, yoga for Trauma um, with Lisa Danielchuk is a program that I have been a part of, um, and that is, it's it's online, so it, it's it's uh, and it's very all encompassing, and I think can work with whatever it is that you want to sort of manifest the the principles into and what you get get from that training. Um, but then also, if there's like a demographic or a population that you're interested in, there are a lot of trauma informed teacher training programs specific to that. And so, for for example, I prior to what I did with Lisa Danielchuk, um, and my reason for for finding her was, or being um, involved with her, was my work with Exhale to Inhale. And so they have their own trauma-informed yoga uh, teacher training program, which I am part of. Um, and they work with the, in the context of survivors of sexual assault and domestic violence. But then if you're interested in like the prison system and, and bringing yoga there, there are, there's like the Liberation Yoga Project. Um, there are programs for uh, uh, for for youth, um, and so there, there's a lot out there. And I think that kind of ties back to the idea of of just being open to research. And if it doesn't feel clear, like don't be afraid to ask questions. Um, take your time with your 300 hour too. If you do decide mm. to pursue, because I, I think as well, like it used to be like 200 hour, and then you could. Um, you know, you take a break, you teach or whatever. And then a lot of people kind of go into their 300 hour uh, after a few years, but now it's sort of like 200 hour. And a lot of people like want to go straight into the 300 hour because they want more like it. it I, I think that the, yeah, the 200 hour you leave feeling like it's not enough. And maybe even like, I'm not ready to teach. However, 
there's no rush to, to, I think, go into a 300 hour program. Um, or at least if you do like, uh, take your time with it. If it, especially like I did my, my 300 hour, um, did modules and, you know, it did take a long time to complete, but, um, was able to kind of tailor it in a way, um, with like the subjects and things that I took. Um, so yeah, the theme is research, take your time. <laughs> yes. Everyone write that down. <laughs> um, and then we like to end the podcast with three quick questions. So just say, you know, the first thing that comes to your mind, let it be free form. Um, one is what is your favorite Filipino word and why? And it can be, you know, any of the dialects. My favorite Filipino word? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well. And you can be explicit. It's fine. <laughs> if it's one of those. Well, so when you said that, the first word that came to mind was lumpia because I, I, I miss it. Like my, uh, it, I, don't know the, I don't think it's my favorite word, but that's just like the first that came to mind um, because I haven't had my mom's in a long time. <laughs> so that's my answer. <laughs> yeah. And then... How is Kapwa showing up in your life today? And for those that don't know, Kapwa is shared inner self. Shared inner self. Um, I, that's a really good question. I think it's, you know, with what I'm offering out into the world in terms of my teaching and like, um, Yo- specifically my yoga teaching where um, I, I try to go into these classes, not so much, I mean, yes, teaching a flow and a sequence, but also trying to, to craft and talk about like a theme that that's meaningful for me um, at this point in time. And so, and that requires me to, to be a little bit more vulnerable at times or to, to not necessarily center myself, but like, or center the, the the theme around me, but like to to be open about what's actually coming up, what feels authentic to me, and trying to present that outwardly. And the last one is, what is the biggest lesson that I'm learning in this time? The biggest lesson that I'm learning, and I'm going to put it in the context of these times now, is to have patience with myself. Um, and that's, I mean, that's something that's been going on for a very long time. Um, but uh, pa- like patience and, and trust in myself in that, um, sometimes this work is really hard and it can feel really defeating, um, especially if you're doing it on your own, um, or, you know, it's not panning out exactly as you'd hope for, but I have to be able to not let the negative talk that sometimes pops up you know, that says like, you're bad at this or, um, whatever. Uh, and just know that that is like ego or that's like, you know, something that's very transient and not really what it, what actually is right now. Um, and yeah. And being, being able to let that go so that there's like more room for, compassion for what it is and and also being proud of what I'm doing. Um, because I think that, you know, in this idea of what's next, what's next, right? How do I pivot and all of that, right? Being still proud of like everything that I have created, that I have done, um, and that I'm continuing to do, 
um, in challenging times. So, mm. yeah. yeah, thank you for sharing that. Um, and if anyone wants to stay in touch with you, how can they do that? I know you also have some um, training offerings coming up. Yeah, uh, thank you. So if you want to stay in touch with me, you can follow me on Instagram. My handle is at supermat1123. And so that's with two T's. Uh, it's a throwback to my old AOL screen name. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> my aim. Um, and that's probably like showcasing my age at this point. Um, and then you can also follow, uh, my website is matthew-espino.com. Um, and I also have a Patreon. So uh, that on um, Patreon platform, you can find uh, my yoga videos and other uh, content for movement and mindfulness. So that's patreon.com slash Espino. So, uh, and all that's all housed on my Instagram. So you, uh, that's kind of like the main place to go. Um, in terms of trainings that I'm offering, so uh, Sunday, September 27th, uh, is my uh, introductory trauma-informed yoga workshop with LL Studios and Exhale to Inhale. Um, and then after that in October, which I'm really excited about, and this will be hosted with LL Studios, um, I'm doing a 25-hour resilience and rest training with my uh, dear, dearest friend, colleague, Dorian Shorts. Um, and that training is, so uh, both of these workshops and, and that training is uh, open to everyone, so you don't necessarily have to have a 200-hour Um but the 25, so it's 25 hours that could be applied to either continuing ed, or if you choose to do your 300 hour with LL Studios, it could be applied to that. Um, and that training is looking at pretty much with the idea of resilience, right? How, what, what does resilience mean for you? And what does rest mean for you? And how do you embody those in your own physical or movement practices? Uh, we'll be looking to investigate those, but then also looking at, okay, so we adapt these sorts of practices for ourselves to address our needs. So how can we reflect those practices to, to address the needs of our communities? And so we'll be really looking at um, a lot of tangible ways to, 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 to bring more access, if you will. That's sort of a big word for me at this point in time, but more access into what we offer within the spaces that we walk through. Mm -hmm. And we will link all of that in the show notes as well so that people can stay in contact, stay in kapwa with you. And we really just want to thank you for joining us in the show. And we look forward to, yeah, staying in contact, staying in conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much. And that was today's episode. Thank you so much to Maddie Espino for joining the conversation. All the info mentioned for his offerings of yoga and dance will be mentioned in today's show notes. One quick note is that Maddie's intro to trauma-informed yoga will have passed by the time this episode comes out, but there's still time to register for his resilience and rest training. If you like what you heard and feel called to connect further, I encourage you to subscribe, leave us a five-star rating review for the podcast, and follow us on Instagram at kapwa.yoga. 
On our Instagram, we host an IG Live after show the Monday after this episode is released. So we encourage you and hopefully we'll see you involved in the conversation with us there. This podcast is a part of Kapwa Yoga, a movement and mindfulness practice that integrates my background in dance, yoga, and organizational psychology. You can check out more from our website, www.kapwa.yoga, to find out more about our services. A special thank you to Uga for the theme song and episode production. You can find him on Instagram at O-O-G-A-H dot X-Y-Z. Thank you for listening. Maraming salamat and catch you in the next conversation.